0: What the doula can provide is a very necessary tether to the divine, a very necessary tether to ritual, to ceremony. You know, they can be a presence of support, a presence of of, of comfort, of, of safety, and they can remind people of their power.
1: Hey everybody, Jen Hatmaker here, your host of the For the Love podcast. Welcome to the show. So right now we are in a series called For the Love of You. And we really wanted to look at all the ways that we take the time to care for ourselves. And I don't mean this like in a kitschy, silly way, like just go get your toenails painted. We wanted to do more like a deep dive into what is Truly like soul care, soul care, mind care, self-care. So whether that's through loving our bodies exactly where and how they are or using, using like food as a tool for self-care and healing or learning how to address trauma so that we can live our lives fully because trauma is stored in the body as we're going to talk about today. And so this week we are addressing a really specific season of self-care and that's those of you, although it's broader than this. So stay with, even if this isn't you, because actually the practices that we talk about in this next hour are ubiquitous. If you have a human body, this is an episode for you, but on a more granular level, we are discussing those of you who are journeying into motherhood. Be it first time moms or second or third or fourth or fifth or whatever, because what a time for our brains, what a time for our bodies, so much happening in our hormones and so many things to be planning for, to be processing. I know. I mean, I had my first baby in 1998 and I was young. I was 23. I was the first of all my friends to have a baby and Had virtually no, I mean, I went in completely green. I didn't even have like my siblings' experience to draw from or any friends. I was just the first one out there, first man in the boat. And so I would have loved to have had the wisdom and the experience of today's guest who walks thousands of moms through what is truly like a sacred practice childbirth. And she does it in a way that is holistic and full of dignity and care and worth and autonomy and empowerment because stress and a sense of overwhelm can dominate this chapter if we let it. And I do want to let you know, by the way, young moms, in case you think all the other moms have it all figured out, we do not, we do not. And nor did we, when we were having those babies, we were right where you are. You are normal. The things that you worry about, that you wonder about, that you're looking forward to, that you're nervous about all of it, normal, normal, normal. And again, if you're listening and you're not expecting your first, or you're done birthing babies, or you're not going to have children, this is still good stuff for you because she and I do a deep dive today on what it means to be really embodied as women. You'll see when you hear this conversation, how nourishing it is, how nurturing it is. If you're watching it on YouTube, you know, I have a YouTube channel. If you ever want to watch any of the podcasts, my guest and I always video record it too. And we post it up at YouTube. If you'd like to see it as well as hear it, but you'll just see how easy it is to lean into this beautiful well of wisdom that we have today because we are diving into this world with such a wonderful guide. She is an entrepreneur. She's a birth doula. She's the founder of Mama Glow, and it is Latham Thomas. Uh, If you follow her, you already know. If you don't follow her, you're going to after today. Latham is a graduate of Columbia University. And she set out on a journey to really help women claim or reclaim the birth process after delivering her son in 2003. So she is a world renowned wellness leader, bridging the gap between optimal wellness and spiritual growth, and then radical self-care. That's her intersection. She is known as the go-to guru for helping women achieve a modern holistic lifestyle, and then specifically as it relates to childbirth. And on top of all that, she's an author of three books, the most recently titled Meditations, Guided Meditations for Rituals for Rest and Renewal. Oh, and no big deal, boring, but she was also named one of Oprah's Super Soul 100. So she's got the credentials She's got the receipts and she brings her special brand of warmth and love and possibility to the for the love podcast today. So please enjoy my incredible conversation with Lathan Thomas. Latham, welcome to the for the love podcast. I've really just loved you and watched you from afar and I'm so happy to actually meet you. Um, thanks for being on today. Oh, wow, Jen, thank you so much for having me. So I've told my listeners, I've kind of high leveled who you are and a little bit about, about what you do, but could you, would you mind before we get into it, just telling us, you know, who you are and what it is you do, and then really like, who are your people? Where are you at? What's What's your mama story here? Yeah, thank you. I'm Latham Thomas. I'm a founder of
0: a maternal wellness company called Mama Glow, which serves people along the childbearing continuum, fertility through postpartum. And we also have a global doula training program for people who aspire to be birth workers or want to deepen their practice as doulas. And that program is accessible online. Thankfully, To the pandemic, it was a way for us to digitize and and create more space for for folks who are in all corners of the world who could not travel to our hubs in New York, LA, Miami, and Paris. So that's a big piece of the work I do is educate. I I see it as actually a calling that's really centered around reminding people and helping them to, to connect with recall of memory around this work. And so, I'm, I'm really a facilitator in these spaces of education, providing healing, providing access points for community and and self reflection. That's a deep part of of the work that we do as well at Mama Glow. And I'm a mother of a 18 year old who's you know college bound, and so. I'm in a phase of my life where I'm about to have an empty nest and really sort of in an interesting period of anticipation of what that'll be like and also grateful for all the lessons that I've had in parenting that I continue to have in parenting. And also feeling the softening happening around this this departure, right? Like, it's been interesting. I'm definitely a different person now than I was a few months ago in regard to this this change, which has not yet occurred, y'all. So, like, you know, come see me in a few months and, you know, I'll probably be crying myself to sleep. But for now, (laughs) I'm, I'm a little bit okay. You know, my people, my community, those that I'm surrounded by, I feel like I have a really powerful living community, but I also really rely upon like this beautiful community of, of doulas and birth workers that we've cultivated that I feel like are my family. I feel like I have a whole bunch of babies, right? Of doula babies everywhere. And aside from them, certainly the people that I have supported along their journeys into into parenthood, that's a deep part of it too. Those are Those are also my family.
1: Totally. Was there a Was there a pivotal moment or a seminal moment in your life when you decided or knew that you wanted to dedicate your time and energy to helping other women move through their pregnancies with mindfulness and with ease and with intentionality? Like This is a real specific space in the world. How did you find your way into this?
0: Yeah. So my journey to birth work really started with the birth of my son. I was always interested, I think, and fascinated by birth because at the time that I became a big sister, I was at a really interesting age and that was four years old going into five years. And that's a curiosity age in a child's life, right? So they've Come to know themselves and understand how they are in their bodies a little bit. And now they're like really looking at the externalized world, right? And questioning and finding fascination and admiration and joy like in everything. And so at the time, my mother was pregnant. I was four, going on five years old. My great aunt, my mother, and my we were all pregnant, due within a month of each other, March, April, and May. This year would be 1985 that these babies would come in the spring. And so for me, it was so fascinating to see like just the bellies, first of all, because I was at the height of their bellies walking around. (laughs) So I just would see like just the the forms change and and how they were in their bodies how they talked and 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 sort of moved in their bodies and also the conversation about pregnancy was really empowering i didn't hear a lot about i just didn't hear a lot of negative conversation that i could recall i heard a lot about you know support and joy and and a lot of and i saw a lot of like communing and supporting each other which was really beautiful too. The thing that I think was most fascinating, my mom had me watch a PBS series called My Mom's Having a Baby. And I watched that and learned a lot about pregnancy in that experience. I learned about anatomy. She taught me that really just about sacred anatomy and how the body works and functions. So I had a full vocabulary, probably better than some adults today at the age of four in understanding the pelvic anatomy and reproductive anatomy. And so when we were in, she always tells a story that like we're in a grocery store and this uh, woman comes up, she's like, oh my goodness, like, this is so sweet. Your mom has a baby in her tummy. Are you excited for your little sister? And I was like, my mother has a baby in her uterus and it's going to come out of her vagina. <laughs> Right? Like correction. It was it. like things like that, you know, so I was fascinated from that age. And then my cousin, who was maybe a couple months older than me, she was also about to be big sister. So we would play together and we would just do dramatic play that really mimicked what we saw. And so we would take our little Cabbage Patch dolls and stuff them under our shirts and pretend to deliver each other's babies. So that was like the seeds were planted then, right? Four or five right? years old. And so fast forward to this experience later in life, right? Where, you know, I'm pregnant with my son and my first child, my only child, actually. And I'm like, wow, you know, this is such a fascinating journey. But I think parts of those, those rudimentary seeds that were planted early on, right? I think those those were re-sparked at that time. And then there was also other things like, you know, lack of access to certain resources or not information like we see it today, like not having the internet, by the way, for those who are listening. 20 years ago, the internet was not what it is today. So we did not have you could just you couldn't just Google, right? Totally. You couldn't, you couldn't just go on Instagram and find inspiration or find like interesting pages that had you know, educational tools or or community, you could not find that, and so you had to like sort of figure it out on your own back then. And so that's what I sort of did.
1: Hmm. So, just kind of from a high level here for people who are new to kind of your particular work, can you shed some light on the some of the key differences? And I know there's a lot, but between like holistic medicine and traditional medicine and specifically how your approach helps women walk through their pregnancies with more like mindfulness and self-care at the front. I'm now pontificating. You tell us the difference between what it is you do and this more like maybe conventional way to think about birth sure. birth
0: care. Well, you know, first I would love to just like level set that like doula support is accessible to anyone, regardless of what your birth plan is, regardless of outcome, regardless of economic status. Like, you know, the, this is an ancient profession. It's actually the oldest profession is midwifery really. And before sort of this modern way of approaching birth was established, which is by the way, a couple hundred years in the making there were just women, you know, who attended births and they were, and and men were not a part of that process. They were midwives who attended, you know, the way that we see medicine, specifically gynecology or obstetrics was nascent. And so there was not really a push to develop this type of care until really the late 16, 1700s. And Mm. so, and a lot of that developed in the Americas but traditionally speaking, the the midwives would care for the birthing people and provide not only the clinical support, but they would also use spiritual tools. They would also be called upon to pray or chant or create spells or invoke the, the spirits of ancestors. Like they did a lot of work that was not also clinical right? Mm -hmm. And then there were other people who would show up to support that person in their birth journey. And they were called gossips, which actually stood for God's siblings. And the gossips would come and these were women of the community who would be like your aunts or cousins or your elders really in motherhood. And they would come in and they would cook and they would clean and they would you know, prepare the linens and prepare the space for the baby. They would prepare a really safe den for you to give birth. They will prepare concoctions for you to drink and soups or stews or broths for you to drink and sip on. They would make sure that after the baby was born, that you were tended to and resting and lying in. And that word obviously has evolved to mean somebody who, you know, talks and, you know, like runs their mouth like a chatty patty, but it actually sort of started off as, you know, people who who tended to to laboring people. And and so the doula is more of a a modern version of what the gossips were. The doula's provide non-clinical care support to people along the journey. There's many types of doulas. You can have someone to support you for fertility, pregnancy and birth doula, postpartum doula, abortion and loss, bereavement doulas. Like so this is a role that for me, I play all of those roles for someone so you don't have to just hire one type of doula but doulas are usually trained to sup- to provide supports along the entire reproductive continuum and a lot of what we're doing is assisting people as they navigate the the medical model or out of hospital birth or birth centers and figuring out what it is that's best for you. And so when we think about the current medical model and the ways that we have to navigate labor currently. Most of our modern obstetrical practices are not supportive or conducive to the conditions that are necessary for what giving birth requires of you, which is really a rite of passage. It's really a spiritual experience. Birth is a meditation. And so what happens is that people are having experiencing birthing rites and rites of passage are really set up in three stages, right? Where someone first separates from the world, the social space and, and their identity in this space, they sort of separate and, and be confined and tucked away from the, the world they live in. And then there's a space that sort of, they ascend into, which is like the liminal space Right, where they're moving through sort of a transition from one plane to the next, from one position or social station in life to another. And then on the other side of that is emergence or integration or post liminal. And that's when they re enter into society. So, so, when you think about and, and come on the other side of that experience, when you come on the other side of that experience, from being somewhere else to like then returning to your body and then returning to this new version of yourself. You know, part of that includes ego shedding. Part of that includes, you know, for many people, pain or discomfort. Part of that includes, you know, leaving something behind, right? Shedding parts of yourself. And then also part of that includes having something on the other side that you didn't have when you started, right? And so these are things that are not considered in our current medical model like this experience right of this rights rights of passage birthing rights in this way are not considered in our current medical model what's considered safety right you know our <laughs> legal you know provisions mm-hmm. here and and insurance right and right. so how do we protect ourselves which m- in most cases is is not aligned with the experience or the goals of the client right And then when you add on top of that, any intersections that people live and exist with, we think about social determinants of health and whether or not people have access to medical care, to housing, to clean water, to clean air, to to education, like all these things that can also impact care and care outcomes. But then when you looked at the lived experience of racism and how that shows up on marginalized bodies, black bodies, LGBTQ plus bodies, disabled bodies, like what that means when people enter into these systems. Right. There's a lot that happens and and there's a lot of vulnerability. And and so a lot of what we're doing is is helping people to understand the, the gaps, the enormous gaps in our system, you know, in our healthcare system and also design space that is about safety and dignity and belonging and transcendence also because it's not just about surviving childbirth it is about thriving it is about you know two souls or more coming through and coming together and and it's about healing it is about creating an epigenetic blueprint for the future and 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 in that process reclaiming our bodies as sacred reclaiming this process as holy and so I'm interested in that. I'm interested in somebody's recollection of the experience being one where they felt triumphant, regardless of the outcome. So when we look at these systems, they're not designed to hold us in those ways, right? And so what what the doula can provide is a very necessary tether to the divine, a very necessary tether to ritual, to ceremony. You know, they can be a presence of support, a presence of 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 comfort, of of safety. And they can remind people of their power, right? Because really I'm here to not to tell you what to do or necessarily advise you, but remind you. I'm here to remind you of your power. I'm here to, you know, help you develop trust in yourself and maintain that. I'm here to help you foster self-determination and resilience. And I'm also here to allow you to, to sink deeply into vulnerability so that you can be held through this transformative process and not have to fight for your life.
1: It's so lovely to hear you describe that. It's so different from the standard template that most of us are sort of handed. And I think a lot of young moms, new moms, don't even know that there's an option. They, We don't hear this narrative. There is not this, this voice Telling us this is there's another way to do this. Like there's a beautiful, sacred way to do this that is still safe, obviously, and full of dignity, but just sacred in some way. I I I don't remember hearing any of this when I had my kids. No, I had no concept. I had to go within myself and find those. Because as you just mentioned, we have that inside of us. That's right. If no one's there to remind us or chart a little path for us. I had to, I had to go deeply within. I'm curious, Latham, obviously I can understand where your, your best practices and your knowledge comes from in terms of childbirth and science and biology and bodies. What is your personal spiritual practices, your, your history the deep, that deep well of wisdom that you now have been able to bring these together in a way that they really always should have been, and probably always were before we capitalized it and made it into such an an industry. But what were those influences and, and even practices that today that continue to keep you full and, and able to pour out into your work?
0: Yes. Thank you for that question. And I know this is something that you also practice and believe in, which is that, you know, self-care has to be at the center of our ministry, right? <laughs> like we have to, yeah. like, I only can operate from a place of fullness. And I know that a lot of the work that I do requires actually touching people, laying hands on people, right? Totally. Actually giving of myself and of expenditure of, of massive amounts of energy. And what I also know is also in teaching and facilitating that, and you know this, from holding space for people, from, you know, conducting groups and being in, you know, with audiences where there are, everybody's having an experience of their own and trying to make sure that there's a cohesive energy that's kept up while those people are in your care and have your listening, right? I also know that's a massive amount of energy that has to be devoted. And so for me on a daily, it's really about like, I see self-care is like a a check-in that's on a moment-to-moment basis. Like I would just, you know, like we check on our kids, like, you know, you good, you okay, everybody okay? Like it's, you know, constantly, not just once a day, like, is everyone okay? But like constantly checking in and and attuning to what's happening in our own internal landscapes. And so for me, if I sense like, ooh, like, a lot of you know cerebral stuff today. Let me go take a walk, right? Oh, I need to put my feet in some soil, and I know exactly what it is. Like, I think when you get you get to a place where you just like can can sit with yourself, and you could shut out. If, for me, it's like if I close my eyes, if I just shut off one of my senses, right? So usually it's closing eyes that can get me there. But I can just like close my eyes and just like take a couple breaths, and then I can intuit exactly what I need next. And so then I'll just give myself that thing if it's like. I don't, I don't operate from a punitive model of if you do this, then you get this. Like I don't structure life that way. I don't structure that in my family. I grew up with that. Like if you eat this, then you get dessert. So for me, it's more like if I fortify myself and give myself the time to go sit sit in the garden or go pick some veggies or, you know, go for a walk by the water or get the fresh air, like Those are the things I need to recharge so I can actually show back up and continue the work, right? Not like I'm gonna beat myself up and do the work. And then if I get it done, then I can go walk, right? So thinking about like that part of the relationship that you can heal with yourself is to be generous and not be right, like not be someone who's taking things away or siphoning away things or extracting opportunities for for grace, for growth and also for. For goodness, right? Like we should really lean into these practices that offer us uh respite and and then check in with ourselves to see how we're responding to them. So for me, I do some just like body scanning and gratitude and, and thanking my body. I do a practice of, you know, a massaging my body outside of the shower and and just speaking blessing on my body because it's one thing to understand what your needs are. It's another thing to actually attend to them. And I think a lot of us are in conflict about whether or not we should give ourselves certain things. And what I see a lot of, which I think is great, is like therapy. I'm going to therapy. And it's really great to talk through things, but how experiences and trauma and tension resides in our tissues is not because it didn't talk its way there. And so, I invite us to think really expansively on how we can utilize our tools for self care to support, you know, our, our personal growth and also our communities. Because when we're well, we can take care of others. Right? That ripples out. And so, I think of it not as like a selfish act, but really as a as an act of of self-service for the community.
1: In this current For the Love podcast series, we're talking a lot about how to love ourselves well. We just put our bodies through so much, pushing them physically and mentally and emotionally and spiritually. And it's pretty incredible that they even keep up, right? But if you take away one thing from this series, hear this. Every body is amazing and deserves to be treated that way. Third love is a brand I love because this very element of self-love is fully baked into their core set of values because they design bras and underwear along with like lounge wear and activewear and feel good all day wear. I promise you for every type of body and wearing any of their things is like the sweetest thing you that you can do for yourself. So they're including sizing for all, which features more than 80 bra sizes, 80, was developed using a compilation of millions of real women's measurements. This is why they have 90,000 five-star reviews, including mine. Hi. Because you all know I'm always wearing my t-shirts. So their best-selling classic t-shirt bras I, th- I probably have six. If you're worried about finding your perfect fit, 3rd Love has a fitting room quiz. It's like a personal shopper. Plus their team of expert fit stylists are available via chat or text to answer all of your questions. So you get to feel comfortable and beautiful all day long with 3rd Love and you should. Feeling is believing, I promise. So you can upgrade to 3rd Love's everyday pieces that love your body as much as you do. Right now, you guys even you get twenty percent off your whole first order at thirdlove.com for the love. So it's twenty percent off. Yeah, that's pretty good. At thirdlove.com for the love. think it's safe to say that we all want to live less toxic lives, including our footprint on this earth. We want to reduce and reuse, but it's just not always that easy. Like take plastic, for example. It's literally everywhere. Everything we use is plastic, including our cleaning products, right? And tons of the plastic enters our oceans, which really has toxic effects on everyone, which is what I wanted to talk to you about today. Because one way, That I'm reducing my own personal plastic load is with Blue Land. Blue Land has been a game changer for me. And here's why this is a revolutionary, like refill cleaning system with hand soap, dish soap, tons of other cleaning products, actually, where you buy their beautiful plastic free, reusable bottles once and then you refill them forever. Blue Land has helped eliminate you guys more than 1 billion with a B single-use plastic bottles from landfills and oceans since just 2019. But look, even if Blue Blueland wasn't the literal best cleaning option for our planet, I would still want to use them just for the quality of their products alone. They're cruelty-free. They're made without parabens, phosphates, ammonia, VOCs, chlorine bleach, like none of that. And they have these incredible scents. You know, that's my love language, the smell of the thing, like rose bergamot and lily mint, my favorite. They're just tip-top. Plus they're high quality forever bottles, they just start at like $10 when you buy a kit. And then their money-saving refill tablet started just $2. So in the end, you are saving money and our planet. It's a win-win. So right now you can also get 15% off your first order when you go to blueland.com for the love. So it's 15% off your whole first order of any products at blueland.com for the love. You guys come and get it. Oh, this is such important instruction. I know it's not new. Sometimes I hear conversations around this level of like deeply intuitive soul care as new or like trendy. It's actually ancient. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so old. Mm-hmm. It's so old, but I find that it has a new place in our sort of communal discussion right now. And it's been, I mean, I can just say on my end, deeply powerful. I, I feel like I've been learning about embodiment, the ways that our bodies hold trauma and the ways that we move anxiety and stress and trauma through just really in the last five years. And I remember at the beginning, hearing like some of the practices that you just said, which are simple in nature. They're simple. They're not walk by the water, put your feet in grass, take deep breaths in the air, turn your face to the sun, you know, just nothing feels monumental. And, you know, we're sort of in a culture where we'd like a different kind of fix. And so when I first started putting some of these practices into place in my life, which for me started deeply with breathing, something I'd never given a second thought to, but it's just that. I don't know that our culture treasures this conversation like it should. I mean, What do you see as the biggest obstacles culturally right now for women and men for that matter? This is not just a women's space at all, of course, but you and I primarily serve women to sort of onboarding here into these sorts of like humble embodied practices to really become healthy.
0: Yeah. I would say the block is capitalism. It is right. It's like, you know, our lens on experience, even with ourselves, even in the quietness of the moments that we have with ourselves is always externalized, right? It's always like, what out there can help me in here, right? It's never like, I have everything I need right here in the palm, right? It's always like, oh yeah, I need that thing. I mean, you watch a commercial, if you watch television, if you watch YouTube, whatever you watch, Everything is about something that you need, right? Like that you'll be okay if you get this thing and got to get rid of that horrible thing that's going on and you're too this and you're not this enough and whatever it is, it's like everything's externalized. And so I think our orientation around growth is even externalized. So we think about it as a linear path, we think about it as a destination, we think there's a place we're going to get to. And then when we get there, it's like everything's going to be perfect. We sort of intellectualize every philosophical and and, I would say, spiritual tradition and figure out how to frame it in a way that fits like our current, you know, model for individualism and uh, and capitalism, right? And so there's mm-hmm. always like this place that you can arrive to, if you do these things, if you have this money, if you're right, all these things that people sort of think that they can uh, Meditate away, pray away, you know, retreat away, bubble bath away, right? It's always that. And so I think that the problem is, you know, also the the commodification of our productivity and a centralization of like that as a focus, right? So if I'm if I'm in this body and what I know to be my How I'm deemed worthy in this world is what I can actually produce, whether that's through physical reproduction and offspring, or what I can produce in terms of, you know, my economic value in a marketplace, right, over a lifetime. Like, what does that look like? How am I actually useful, right? You know, our lens on how we fit into Sort of society is through that vantage point of like what I can produce, not just who I am, that I was already born worthy, that I'm already enough, that I don't have to go to more schooling or this or that or the third or fourth or fifth thing to become worthy or to become enough. And so instead, what we end up doing is, oh, there's a retreat. Oh, there's this class or there's this book or there's this workshop. And I'm not saying that, and, and knowing that by the way, we we create these types of things for you all to embed yourselves. But the thinking that when you come to it, that we're going to save you <laughs> is not the right lens, right? So you want exercise, you want to be pushed, you want all those things and not, and it's not always that we can do it by ourselves. So there are gonna be people that you really resonate with, books that resonate, all these kind of things. That that touch you in a way that gets you to a place where you feel like okay, I can take that leap and open up a little bit more. But our vantage point has to change. It cannot be about like okay, I'm going to do this and then this is going to happen and that's and then I'm going to be worthy. It it's got to be more like a lifelong journey of learning, of reflecting, of growing. Some days you're going to feel really like so in your body and so yourself, and another day, which is by the way, further along your journey. So if we can think about, you know, the the resources that we have internally right now, right? And utilizing those internal resources and not seeing, not thinking that you have to go buy something or join something. Like right now you are resourced, even if you feel under-resourced, you are resourced right now. And that's why when we were giving these practices to y'all, we did not say, go sign up for this or go take, we said, go outside, (laughs) right? (laughs) Go under a tree because it's for the free. And when you think about the things that are most powerful on us, that work on us in ways that are so profound, they are always so simple.
1: Totally. Absolutely. It does. It's ROI on the earth is high. You know, this earth is healing and it's sacred and it's comforting. And I want to ask you one more question before we land the plane here, because you mentioned, of course, mama globe, and I love your work so much around it. I had my babies a long time ago and I, I wish that I would have been under leadership like yours back then. I just didn't know it at the time. So you said, and when it comes to mama, you, you were part of your mission is to help women have faith in the benevolent universe. And be an active participant in their co-creation of your beautiful life. And I just oh, I just want to drink those words down. Can you just talk finally here about, because I've got a lot of young listeners who are in the in the baby years. They are in the pregnancy years. They are this is where they're at. What are some of the steps, some of the practices that you give these young women? to help them claim or maybe reclaim their pregnancies and then just find the absolute like optimum, like joy and connection within them. Yeah. I think that
0: one of the things that I sort of start with and and that I think really all doulas are are really sort of um, checking for is really like meeting someone where they're at and understanding sort of their unique needs. Right. And so what I understand through so many experiences is that many people come to pregnancy with different sort of experiences, different emotions, and some people come to it through ambivalence, some people come to it through joy, through real triumph, through pain, through trauma. And, and so a lot of what we're doing is really uncovering you know, what it took for them to get there, how they're holding it and, and, and navigating it. And then really applying tools and supports individually to make sure that that person gets exactly what they need, right? Which might be different from that person. And, and what I would say is a big piece is also making sure that people feel the ability to use their voice, right? Mm, that's so, so
1: important.
0: Right? I mean, so much of our upbringing is about silencing. And I think about it from, you know, being a kid, I remember, you know, trying to speak up when adults were talking and being told to be quiet. I remember, you know, just a lot of framing around, yeah. right? Like this kind of signaling to, to respect authority, respect teachers, right? And so it's very interesting that so many of us had that upbringing and we're supposed to go into settings inside of institutions and speak up to people who totally. are perceived to have authority, right? Mm-hmm. And we haven't cultivated that muscle. That's right. <laughs> right? So so part of it is just really helping people to understand the the power of their voice and also unearth it so they can speak it, right? And free it. And so a lot of practices around freeing the voice are part of, you know, what we do. And we do this with the dulists too because again, these are people who are like have to speak up and may feel compelled not to because of that So we have to to unlearn a lot of things, a lot of it's unlearning, but I would also say a big piece is helping people to understand informed consent and understanding how to speak up and ask for the things that they need and understand what's available to them, what their rights are in each setting, right? So it's really just mapping for advocacy tools which is a big piece, right? I think people feel really good when they can advocate for themselves and they can speak about their experiences. Storytelling is a big piece and being able to process that experience of what the what the birth was like. You know, it's always interesting, like, to ask someone, you know, I know that I was there, but what was it like for you, right? That's good. Because, mm-hmm. right? And I think another big thing, too, is really understanding what traditions mean for people and and how we can support them in accessing their own spiritual traditions or their own cultural traditions? And so a question that might be asked is, you know, is there something in your spiritual practice that I should know about? Are there some living traditions that are important to you that you'd want to re- make a part of this process, right? Like these are the kind of questions that help us to design or an experience that feels really supportive for people. And, and for me, what that's looked like is, you know, bringing families from different backgrounds together and bringing elements of their traditions into the birth space. It's looked like being able to uh, research what a particular ceremonial rite might look like from a particular culture and, and, and bringing that information and asking, does this mean anything to you? And then finding out, right, that like, oh yeah, my great-grandmother did that. She's passed on. I have not been able to bring this in. I would love to bring this into my birth process. And not having to like, you know, appropriate anything or go learn or try to perform something, but bring in something that people now can integrate that means something to them. These are all the things that I feel like are, are really important too. And I think what I would finally say is really understanding within the population You know, that we are in a maternal health crisis in this country in the United States specifically for those who are listening. I know the United States is uh, the most dangerous place in the developed world to give birth. And it's really unfortunate that we've been on a 25 year increase in black maternal deaths in this country. And we think about who's most vulnerable. First of all, everybody's vulnerable, but who's most vulnerable, black women and Native American women are four to five times more likely to die during childbirth or as a result of child related causes, 60% of these deaths are considered preventable. So it's really scary to live in a country where this is a reality and where you're in service to people who are who, who are potentially impacted by these statistics. And it's even more challenging when you know you actually unpack the statistics and there's actually stories underneath, right? The actual sure, people. Another thing that I think is important is our vehicles for storytelling to make sure that we say the names and lift up the stories of near misses as well as stories where things went wrong so that we can put correction to and put apply pressure to policymakers, to institutions, to care providers, and also that we make sure to also lift up positive birth experiences and experiences of joy and triumph and glory, because it is critically important for people who are undergoing this process to not feel afraid and to trust in their bodies and to have faith that they can do it and not be saddled with the sort of, you know, recording going on in their head that something really bad may happen to me,
1: right?
0: Mm. And so I'm so keenly aware of that balance of those realities and and wanting to be sure that people who are entering this phase of their life do feel the support, do feel like they can do it, do feel like their their needs will be met, but also are prepared for for all outcomes and are educated on what's happening in our, our healthcare system and how we can stand up and use our voices to fight against it. And so those vocal practices can help us, right? There's many ways that we can use our voices. And so I just invite people that if you feel compelled, right, to support, you know, all of us come from someone who had been brave enough to give birth, right? And so we are all impacted by this information and these experiences. And, and certainly this is a human rights issue.
1: Yes, certainly. Yeah. Um. So
0: So we call everybody to come support, right? (laughs) In whatever ways that you feel compelled, um, we need your voices.
1: Yeah. Love it. Love, love your work. Love your approach. Love the women that you love. Love the babies that you love. Just What a beautiful life you're living. This is transformative work. It's this, they carry this with them forever, the things that you teach them, and then they pass it to their kids. It just has generational effects. And it's very, very powerful, very powerful. Thank you for staying the course here because you're so right. There's so much inequity inside childbirth and, and maternity care and postnatal care. And there's so much disparity and I just have so much hope for positive change with people like you Mm. really leading the charge and you are so committed and your voice is such a dedicated voice. I mean, I watch every, you've got the ear of so many important people. And so I just find you using your power and your influence and your knowledge with a great deal of integrity and just proud of you. And I'm grateful. I'm really grateful for your work. We've been talking a lot on the show about self-care. It has to be a center spoke for us to really walk through our lives from a place of kind of fullness and wholeness and abundance. And obviously self-care can take up a ton of different forms. And sometimes self-care even looks like a treat, like treating ourselves to something we love. And that makes us feel better and makes us feel pretty and makes us feel like we were worthy of it. Like. I know it's cliche, but like a Manny or a Petty. So you guys, I really got into the at-home manicure thing over the last year because of Olive and June. You've, you've heard me talk about it online. This has kind of become a relaxing practice for me. I don't know if you're familiar with Olive and June's amazing nail polishes, but literally in every possible shade you could ever want. But they also have these full Manny systems that have, All the things you need for the perfect at-home manicure in one box. It's like a patented brush handle that makes it effortless to paint with both hands so that one hand doesn't look like garbage, right? Lately, I've been using, and I saw that I got this inspiration from their Instagram account, the Fall Set from Olive and June's Manny System because I love the six autumn inspired colors. They're so pretty. But I also just ordered their new Caramel Apple Spice Set because the colors are kind of warm and cozy and we need that right now, right? So here's the thing. Olive and June's Manny systems actually end up for sure saving you so much money too. I mean, it comes out to under $2 a manicure. So let's go ahead and say that's a lot less than the gel manicures at the salon. They just kind of want you to feel like your best self. And that has a lot of facets to it, but sometimes it means pretty nails, and that's okay. They love making beautiful feelings happen for everyone. So you can get this nail life. Go visit oliveandjune.com slash for the love and use the code for the love to get 20% off your first Manny system. Isn't that so fun? This is an exclusive offer that you can only get here by the way. So it's oliveandjune, oliveandjun com slash for the love, and then use the code for the love for 20% off your first Manny system. So I'm going to ask you two last questions. These are just a wrap up. So this is kind of like top of the head here. This whole series is called for the love of you in which we are just really exploring a lot of the things that you and I've already talked about tonight. What does it mean to be healthy internally? What does it mean? What does soul care really mean? Not the kitschy way that we like to talk about it. What does it deeply and sincerely mean. So here's my first question. When it comes to you, what is one of your like favorite things about yourself, like who you are, the way that you are?
0: This is one of those questions that you get that you like write down an answer, like a great answer to. And you're like, oh, I'm going to like bust out this answer in like five seconds. You know what I mean, oh my totally. gosh, what is one of the favorite things about you? This is not a good quality, by the way, but I think it's my stubbornness. And It has its place. It does. Yep. Jen, I think it's like, so I'm a tourist, team tourist all day. I'm a tourist and we have this quality and it's considered like a really bad thing. And um, people talk about it all the time. Like in my household, I'm always, it's like, oh, she's so stubborn. She's so slow. But there's a place for it, like you said. And I think that um, what I appreciate is that I don't quit stuff. So. I'm right. And so the stubbornness actually works in that, even in obstacles, something will happen and I'll find a way to be like, well, and it's not just seeing the bright side. It's this like commitment, like, even though like, and there may not be a bright side and I'll just be like, Mm. here's, you know, like, we're just going to do this. And, and it's just like a certain commitment that comes through Mm -hmm. that. And it's not that like, I won't, ever not do something. Like if I've committed to something and it's not right, like I understand how I can change, sure. you know, reframe or change agreements, but it's more about like, you know, if I start something that I'm committed to, I'm not going to be shaken by anything. So it's more that, great right? Quality. It's more that than anything else.
1: <laughs> okay. Last question. This is a question I actually ask every guest in every series and you can answer however you want. It can just like be a sincere answer. It could be silly. It doesn't matter. It could just, whatever's real. So here's the question. What is saving your life right now?
0: Ooh, what is saving my life right now? You know what I think it is? I think it is my relationship to the plants in this house. And like home decor, Mm. home decor kind of thing, you know, just tending to stuff. I think I'm a tender, you know? Mm. And so a lot of like, I think when I grew up, it was like, yeah, like tending to things. Like, um, I love living things. I don't have any animals, but my plants are like my pets basically. And so I think it's that, I think it's tending and like doing things that like help me to feel really grounded in the home.
1: Absolutely. Right. So
0: much of the work of the home is not valued in our culture. And I actually relish in doing work of the home. So I think it's like a little bit of that. Not like dishes. I hate dishes.
1: No, that doesn't count. But like work of beautifying the home. I cannot agree more. I'm a new plant person. Yes. Just in this last calendar year, I had so much trauma in my life and so much loss. And I was like, I need a place where there's life. Yeah. Like where can there be life? Yeah. Where's some life? And turns out plants are living. And so now I am insufferable talking about my plant, my grass. I'm obsessed with my grass. I love it. Just I tend it every morning. I come out, and that's what I say I tend it. I, tend I, I inspect it. it. Who needs some water? There you go. It's life giving. I'm it? with you. Now, what are yeah. your
0: kids? Are your kids on board? Because, like, are they? No,
1: I, I want them to be, but they aren't. They're not, right? No, they're not. Yeah, they're not. And, know, I went like for this. three weeks. Yeah. I went to Maine for three weeks, yeah. and I left a couple of big boys here, like yeah. young adult men. And I'm like, look, I honestly don't even care if you like burn my house down, but water my water plants. my plants. Water my. I'm gone for three weeks, so help me, God. If I come home and those plants are dead on the vine. You have problems, so, right? Yeah. We're going to have problems. So I love that you said plants. I mean, sincerely, I'm so like newly excitable about plants. I love so, this. Oh my God. Okay. i love this for you too. This is amazing. Me too. Okay. Latham, can you just tell my community the best places I know my community, They're going to, they're going to want to know you. They're going to want to follow up Aww. with you. They're going to want to consume what it is that you're putting out into the world. They're going to want to learn from you. So where should where should we send them? Where do they find you?
0: Yeah, thanks for that, Jen. You know, on Instagram, I'm GlowMaven, G-L-O-W-M-A-V-E-N. If you wanted to see stuff that I'm talking about, if you want to learn more about the work that we're doing specifically out in the world, Mama Glow on Instagram, it's just M-A-M-A-G-L-O-W. And then we have mama which is a really great place for you to go and like get information and just like kind of like dive into that world of like everything. Pregnancy, fertility, everything, and then um, there's also some great IG lives that we host, as well as webinars. So I would just get on the mailing list over there and just get into that goodness if you're ready for that that type of world. Absolutely, yeah. yeah.
1: Hey, I'm so happy for this conversation, and thank you so much for this like generous donation of your time oh, to my community. Like, you. what an investment! Thank you, thank and you. so. I will have all your socials, all your things up on our show notes so people can follow you. And so huge fan, anything I can ever do for you, Latham, I'm here. And so next time we're in a room together, I can't wait to hug your neck.
0: Same.
1: Same. (laughs) So that's Latham you guys are going to want to immediately follow her on socials. I love her posts. It's like this little respite. Every time it pops up in my feed, oh, there's a sweet little moment of like joy and connection and hope. And, and she's beautiful, like really, really beautiful. Again, if you'd like to watch our conversation. You can go over to my YouTube channel, if you'd like some video and audio on this one. So also if you go to jinhatmaker.com under the podcast tab, I will have everything related to this episode. I'll have the show notes. I'll have all the links to Latham's socials and her books and her website and everything, 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 everything. So, um, she's actually good for all women, but especially our, our mamas, our pregnant, our little preggers, this is a wonderful guide for you to start listening to. So anyway, more to come in the, for the love of you series, because we so sincerely do love you Laura and her whole production team. And Amanda and I, we sincerely love the podcast community. And it is our singular goal to serve you. That's it. Like, what does our community want? What do they need? What are they hungry for? What questions are they asking? Who do they want to hear from? This is literally all that drives us. And so we really want to celebrate you and all things that are possible for you in this series. And so I'm just telling you that we have an incredible lineup. You are not going to want to miss a single episode. And if you have, go back and pick up what you missed. Otherwise, know that you'll never miss an episode if you subscribe. So hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts or over on the YouTube channel and you'll never miss a single episode all right you guys latham is the greatest can't wait for next week i will see you then